welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. We are in a series called The Hero Within. I can't do that. Get in tr- I get in trouble. Um, I know for all the people that are somewhere near my age that remembers when Superman was an actual hero and not some <sighs> stinking woke culture. T- take everything they touch gets destroyed. How do you wreck Superman? Like, that's a special kind of wokeness. Anyway, the real Superman that wasn't woke was a hero. And the those, those of you that are young, Superman was also known as Clark Kent. Clark Kent was the glasses-wearing, sniveling little reporter guy who just went around like regular old dude. Nobody thought he thought he was just a, you know, just a little sissy wimpling guy that that was a photographer at uh the Daily Star or something like that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't sit around watching cartoons. And then he would go in a phone booth and take his clothes off, be in his underwear, take his glasses off, and everybody would be like, ah, oh, Superman's here. <laughs> it's, I know, it's for all the young people, like, well, hold on a minute. There's a, guy, there's a guy that ran around in his underwear without his glasses on, and he was a hero. Well, it actually makes better sense than the way I'm explaining it. But yeah, maybe I should try that. Where's my wife? She ain't telling me no, so... <laughs> Amen. Where was I? Oh, uh, on the inside of you is the Holy Spirit. Those of you that are born again and have invited him to be a part of your life. And he wants you to live your life in truth, for justice, to accomplish the kingdom way, not only for you and your family, but for every place you go and everybody you come into contact with with. Superman used to say, truth, justice in the American way. We've redeemed it. Truth, justice in the kingdom way. Because we have a king that's greater than America who gifted us America. So we honor both. I concurrently am a citizen in two kingdoms. I'm a citizen of the United States in my natural footpaths, but I am a son of my Father God in the kingdom of heaven. And understanding the duality of those two truths is incredibly important on how you're going to live successfully in your life. On uh, the next slide, we have uh, some, some really cool sayings that come out of the Scriptures. I had to, I had to search the Scriptures. Very difficult because in Hebrew... There actually is no word for hero. 
And the reason for that is because we are never supposed to have a person as an idol. And they, in Hebrew, the word for idol and the word for hero are very similar. And so that's why the word hero is not in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, because we're never supposed to idolize a person. In the New Testament, we learn an incredibly important truth. Uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that says that we need to look at the lives of those that have gone before us and use, this, use them as examples to learn what not to do and what to do. And so even now, as I go through a series on being a hero, what I'm telling you to do is you be the hero. I don't want you to find some hero and idolize them. Idolorate? Okay, okay. I can make up words. When you get the microphone, you make up words. I don't want you to do that. I, I, I hate that in culture. Even when I see people walk around with different folks on their... Uh, I've got to be careful. <laughs> if you have somebody on your shirt, I'm not saying this to you because I say It's just one of those things. If you, People that walk around with other people's faces or names on their shirts. That's why you don't see me... Even though I appreciate what President Trump has done for our nation, I'm not walking around with Trump shirts. I don't, I don't wear people on my chest or my back or my, it's not, I don't think it's right. Um, and, and if you have a different revelation, I'm not rebuking anybody, I'm just saying, I don't, there's no man that's ever lived on this planet from the first to the last that I am going to idolatrate. I am going to be incredibly grateful and worship for the rest of my life the man, the God, Jesus Christ. And to ever put anybody else anywhere even close to that is it just shows you the carnality of our culture. People worship sports teams. People worship Hollywood uh, actresses and actors, which to me, like that's like the worst. They're not even real. You literally worship them for being somebody that they're not. I, I need to get off that. So the the point of what launched me off on this is there is no word for Hebrew in the Old Testament, or there is no word for hero in the Hebrew in the Old Testament because it's supposed to be specifically for God. God is our were hero. But we can pull godly, heroic traits out of the lives of people that are in Scripture and even in the natural. I, there are people on this planet, there are even people that are living on this planet right now, that I see heroic characteristics in them, and I desire those. One of those people is Dr. Ben Carson. If you don't know who he is, he is literally a national treasure. And he, he was lambasted. You, you want to find out who actually probably has an incredible amount of value in heaven? Find out who mainstream media and Hollywood and all those people hate. That's probably the guy. That's probably the gal. And I, I'm not going to go down that trail. But I'm just saying, he, he's somebody who, who overcame incredible odds. And did incredible things. And is still doing incredible things. Alive today. So 
I want you to get this. The, the scriptures aren't the only example of people that have allowed godly traits into their lives to make them incredible people and impactful. But one of the things that's important about the scriptures is that God usually gives you commentary on these people's lives. Which is way different than me telling you what I think happened in my life. Because what I think is I see through a glass darkly. This is why I'm not a big fan of how people tell testimonies and how many people almost worship other people's testimonies. Because your testimony may or may not be right. I've literally heard people tell testimonies of great things that have happened in their life and I'm sitting there with the Spirit of God and I say, that didn't happen, that great thing didn't happen in your life because you did that. That great thing happened in your life because God was merciful because what you did was stupid. I've heard people testify about their stupidity calling it godliness and that's how they got their end result. This is why you need to be incredibly Uh, I don't want to say careful because careful is not a positive godly word. But you need to be very cautious about how you tell a testimony. Because if it's about you, what you did, how you did, likely it's not a good testimony. Got one amen. That's okay. I'll take one. Scripture testimonies, this is why they are infinitely valuable. Because God will usually tell you, in the commentary part, where God said, and David did, and this was of the Lord. Then you're like, okay, there you go. That's how you do it. So, I want you to look at people in your lives. And I want you to glean from people that are in your lives. People that are not even in your lives. Uh, national figures, international figures, people that have, that have lived extra-biblically. I want you to look at their lives and I want you to glean powerful, important things that you can put into your life. But always make sure that you keep the grid of God is the one that knows how that person got there. And without really deciphering it through the wisdom of God and the Spirit of God, you may not know. That's why you're going to hear me tell mostly the heroic characteristics of folks in the Bible. And that's why the number one person that we're supposed to emulate is Christ. Because that's the right type of hero. Because the other side has heroes too. They, they used to celebrate, literally this is their word, they would celebrate people who came out of the closet as sexually deviant. And they still are. And I'm telling you, mark my words, I'm a prophet. Someday they will celebrate the first guy that came out as the, as the bold pedophile, and they're going to celebrate him as the new way of coming out and celebrating sexual freedom or whatever they call this stuff. I'm telling you, it's coming. I just, I just read a story, uh, a couple days ago, I think I might even post it on it, that a guy's married to his imaginary uh, digital girlfriend that he got off of the computer. 
he's married to her. And now he's upset because whoever made this girl and made her works right, that company is going bankrupt, and so now he's not going to be able to talk to his wife. <laughs> I'm trying to preach serious. But people do this. And I know you're sitting there thinking, oh my God, for real? Okay, we haven't got to the bottom of this hole yet. If we, if we don't see these characteristics, these biblical folks, and what God says is right and wrong as the way, then anybody can be a hero, anybody's life can be emulated, and any brokenness in any other person can be repeated in you. Those of you that are, that are bad parents, what's a terrible way to start a sentence? Those of you that have done parenting badly in the past, because none of you are now, in Jesus' name. Those of you that have done parenting badly in the past likely picked it up from your parents. If you're not as successful as you should be in being married, you likely picked that up from somebody that you watched. You just didn't wake up one day and say, yeah, kind of bored think I'll be a bad husband. Nobody ever. You didn't get married and say, let's see how bad I can screw this up before I get divorced. I have never married anybody at the altar and, and they give their vows to each other and they say, well, I'm going to stay with you until you do something I don't like. Now I'm out of here. No, they commit to each other for the rest of their life. Till death do we part. There's a lot of people that have parted and ain't dead. What does that mean? Something happened. What they intended for it to be is not what it ended up being. So before you go dropping tons of, boatloads of condemnation on your parents for teaching you how to parent bad, they likely did the best they knew how to do. And before you go dropping boatloads of condemnation on you because you've been divorced, likely you did the best that you knew what to do. But the problem is, the best you know is still way short. All have sinned, Romans six twenty three. for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what is the mark? The glory of God. That's what we're shooting for. The only way you're ever going to hit the glory of God is to know God in His glory. In Judges 6.12, this is the story of Gideon, which I will... Whoa, you went too far. Back up. Oh, never mind. You're, you're awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Hannah. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, a man... Random dude who actually, if you go look at the story, wasn't even an awesome guy. He was hiding, threshing wheat in a wine press from his enemies. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. First off, what God sees you 
And what God calls you is likely different than what the mirror says. Way different than what other people say. And the reason you're a hero is because God's with you. Not because you're awesome, but because the one in you is awesome. And then in Colossians 1.27, God did this because He wanted you, and this is in the CEV. I know it's a random verse, but I, man, I found this one, and this one like, whoop, went off in my heart. God did this because He wanted you, scratch out Gentiles in your Bible, if you have a CEV, which probably none of you do, so I'll just scratch it out for you on my screen. God did this because He wanted you beloved, to understand his wonderful and glorious mystery. And the mystery is that Christ lives in you. And he is your hope of sharing God's glory. There are people in this room right now. You've been born again for a year or 10 or 50. And this is still something that you have not grasped. That Christ the God of the universe, who with a word calmed a storm, who raised the dead, sometimes almost accidentally just stumbled on funerals. Oh, funeral? Oh, dead kid, get up! That Christ lives on the inside of you. One millimeter below your epithelial is Christ. And I'm telling you, like a lion, he is waiting to pounce on any enemy that wants to come anywhere near your life. The lion of the tribe of Judah is roaring on the inside of you. I've actually seen people healed from just that revelation. I've had people stand in front of me that the Lord has given me a, a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge for them. And they said, this person is struggling from insecurities and fears. And I took a, 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 one, of the, one of the best examples was this gal. Um, and she was, she was kind of a mousy gal and she'd been sick and had been for a while and she'd go to all the cool healing ministers and get a little dabble doer and then you know the stuff would come back and the Lord said this is a it's anchored in her soul and I'm like alright awesome and he said and it's uh, insecurity and fear and so I just kind of meditated on it while I was while she was standing there and I said I want you I want you to re- have a revelation that the lion of the tribe of Judah the lion like Narnia, like tree big lion of the tribe of Judah is on the inside of you. And he is ready to roar and destroy this insecurity and this fear that's in you. And she's okay. I said, so roar. And she goes, here? Yeah, roar. I, I, like out loud <laughs> roar it took 10 minutes I'm not even excited it took 10 minutes and she's like roar <laughs> and I said you scared no demons 
<laughs> She's like, well, I can't just like roar. I mean, I don't, I don't, that's not in me. I said, he is. It took literally like 15 minutes, but finally this gal, she let one out, spit on me, like the whole thing. Like she finally let go and was healed and walked away. And she roared. <laughs> she roared like one more time before she left the show. I'm like, okay, now you're going out in public. You're not in church anymore. That Christ is on the inside of you. To the degree you keep him caged is to the degree that you're going to experience the slavery and the oppression of this world. To the degree, to the degree you let him roam freely in your life is to the degree that he's devouring your enemies. Psalm 16.3, the godly people in the land are my true heroes. This is what God says. And he takes pleasure in them. One day I'm going to preach on this and I'm going to show you the backside of that. The backside of that is guess who God doesn't take pleasure in? The most acceptable and pervasive fear in the church is the four-letter terrible cuss word. Fear. I actually believe it's a bigger cuss word than the other F word. Because the other F word is just an adjective, and it speaks to how ignorant someone is. This one actually has power. And does things on the inside of a person. To the de- amount of and the degree of fear that is allowed to live in your life is the degree that your lion of the tribe of Judah is entrapped. Not that your fear traps Jesus, but that you allow Jesus to be reduced in your life. And if you struggle with that, the scriptures specifically say that we are the ones that limit God. Psalm 78 something. Read the whole psalm. It's a good one. It says that they, the Israelites, drew back and limited the Holy One of Israel. 46. 78 something. I don't, I, I pray, not only do I not want to, but I pray that you don't ever want to be that. That God would show up to you and say, hey, you're limiting me. You're drawing back. I know we do. I know there's times that the Lord comes to me and he's like, come on now. You need to man up on this deal. Yes, sir. But I don't want to be there. And if you know you're there at any point, a lot of times when the Lord comes to me and he's, and he's uh, encouraging me, exhorting me, it's because I don't necessarily know that I'm drawing back in that area. 
If you're knowingly drawing back, that's what the Lord is talking about. You're limiting him on purpose. There's a difference between limiting God on purpose and limiting God in ignorance. Paul blasphemed the Holy Spirit. This is important that you get this revelation. Paul blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He confessed in Scripture that he blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Paul murdered people. Lots of people. First degree. Premeditated. And blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And nobody in Scripture was used more mightily than Paul. The reason that he was able to overcome such terrible, terrible self-confessions was because he did it in ignorance. Jesus said blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. That's it. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that's it. Done. Game over. Your toast is burnt. Paul did it. How can he commit the unforgivable sin and be forgiven? Because he did it in ignorance. God gives tons of grace to us in our ignorance. He knows our frame. He knows that we are but human. That's why he put himself in you so that you cannot always make your humanity your excuse. Amen. If you ever go to Lord, well, I'm only human, God. He's going to say, oh, that's right, I forgot to go and live in you. Yeah, you're the one person that I didn't go and live in when they invited me to come and live in them. You were only human, and then God came and lived on the inside of you. Now the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in your mortal body, Romans 8, 11, and He wants to quicken you, make you alive. Courageous people fight and defeat personal fears. That's what courageous people do. It's not a guy thing. It's not a girl thing. It's not an American thing. It's not a um, a Russian thing. It's not. It is a courageous thing. I've seen children do it. In fact, children are way more likely to operate in the power of God than most adults. Because you're... Maybe too arrogant. Courageous people face and defeat personal fear. Heroes face and defeat corporate fears or fears that attack other people. To be a hero, you have to first be courageous. What I want to hopefully untap for us today is a a truth that I've been meditating on for many years because I think it's I think it's like a silent killer but there's also it's something that I think about on a daily basis and so I hope that in the revelation of this that this will impact you and propel you closer and farther into the 
into the heart and the arms of God, specifically into your destiny as a hero. Genuine heroes fight until they completely defend, uh, defeat their enemy. So, in other words, you can't call someone a hero because they fought and lost. I mean, you might say, hey, way to go, that was courageous, like you took on someone. Okay, let me say it this way. Why is David known forever, everywhere? People don't even know the Bible. People have probably never read a page of the Bible can tell you who David and Goliath is. People who've never been a Christian, never stepped foot in church, they can tell you about David and Goliath. I hear it on the news. I mean, I don't watch the news, but I've heard it. Someone you say that they say that stuff on the news. The reason that David and Goliath is this, this massive part of humanity isn't because David lost. Are you following me? What made him a hero of that story was defeating the giant. Heroes face their enemies and defeat them. It does take courage to fight an enemy. But it takes a hero to defeat an enemy. Or in other words, courage with enough patience and tenacity to finally overcome what you applied your courage towards. So it takes courage to face your fears. If you face your fears long enough and strong enough, eventually what you will become is a hero over that fear. As a disciple, the only enemy capable of defeating me is me. Amen. Amen. I cannot tell you how many people I have ministered to that I've stood there and listened to them. And, you know, I got this sickness and then this thing happened to me. And my mom did this when I was five. And my boss. I mean, it is everybody in the whole world's fault that their life is destroyed. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh boy, this ain't going to go well. Because if I tell them the truth, they're either going to get really mad or they're going to get healed. But most of the time they get really mad. Because I'm going to say, no, it wasn't your mom. No, it wasn't the disease. No, it wasn't the, the chlorine in the water. It wasn't the cabal. It wasn't Joseph Biden. It was you. Let's back up. It wasn't the devil. Because, right? Because after we get through all the other ones, well, the devil did this to me. Really? So he can just wander into your life anytime he wants and slap you around like a redheaded stepchild. He, he has all power and all authority. He can just wander anywhere he wants to go. Come here, you. No. If someone tried to do that in the natural, just wander up to you, and so, what would you do? <laughs> Probably not say, well, thank you, whoever you are, stranger. Can you do this side too? Because the Bible says turn the other cheek. <laughs> Someone knocks on your door, hey, I'm here to slap you. Really? Who sent you? The government. 
Well, since the government sent you, come on in. Hold on, let me call the kids. Hannah, come on down. Somebody from the government's here. At my house, if that person knocks on the door, hey, I'm here to slap you. Hold on. That's awesome. I was expecting you. (laughs) Hey, government, you heard of the Second Amendment? Would you like to come in? No, I'm good. Why don't we do the enemy that way? Hey, you should have a headache. Oh, okay. Well, I guess, guess I'll have a headache. All right, bring it on. Oh, that's a terrible one. Oh, that's probably a migraine. Thanks for that. What if it comes and knocks and says, hey, you should have a migraine. You say, hey, you should maybe not show up in Jesus' name. By his stripes, I am healed. You can't give me something I've been redeemed for. from. Why don't we do that? Well, most of the time it's because, well, I did that thing. So, you know, I, I screamed at my wife on the way to church, so now I deserve a headache. Well, I'm only human, and humans get cancers and migraines, and that's what we do. We get older, and our hair falls out, and our ears go bad, because we're human. And Jesus is like, you know, I'm in you. Well, yeah, but I mean, not really in me. Like, it's just what the Bible says. As a disciple, the only enemy capable of defeating me is me. True success is not about how well you start, but about how well you finish. Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Whatever temptation came after you and slapped you around, it came after Jesus and didn't slap him around. What's the difference? Well, he's Jesus. Okay. Well, who's in you? I'm going to give you a couple of very famous quotes. And the first person who didn't cheat and look at any of my notes, who can tell me these quotes, you get a... Water. Uh, Partially drank water. My spit is divine. Scream it out if you know it. The greatest tyrannies are always perpetuated in the name of the noblest causes. Anybody? I've actually used this quote before. About to find out who listens to me preach. About as many of you people that put your hands up saying you read the Thursday email. Mm -hmm. We know. We've got little trackers. That's right. The ministry of truth. How about this one? He who does not offend cannot be honest. Anybody yet? You, You remember that one. I've used it a lot. I've actually used it with the guy's face. Here's another one. I prefer peace, but if trouble must come, let it come in my time so that my children can live in peace. Anybody? Nobody yet? Here's the next one. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. 
It is dearness only that gives everything its value. I love the man that can smile in trouble, that can gather strength from distress and grow brave by reflection. Tis the business of little minds to shrink. But he whose heart is firm and whose conscience approves his conduct will pursue his principles unto death. The first part of that quote, almost everybody in this room, you've probably heard it. Still can't, still drawing a blank. May, if this one doesn't do it, you're going to the ARC Academy in the fall when we start the school for at least a week. This is the last one you get. Scream it out if you know it. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of his country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. What? Ha, ah, close. Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine, otherwise known as the pen of the Revolutionary War. Let me give you some stats about Thomas Paine. I'm going to just read through this. You guys know that that's not normal for me, but uh, they just said it better than I can say it, and it's very concise. Brevity is the soul of wit. This last simple quotation from Thomas Paine, one of our founding fathers, was in The American Crisis, a, a book that he wrote. Not only describes the beginnings of the American Revolution, but also the life of Paine himself. Throughout most of his life, his writings inspired passion, but also brought him great criticism. He communicated the ideas of the revolution to common farmers as easily as to intellectuals, creating prose that stirred the hearts of the fledgling United States. He had a great vision for society. He was staunchly anti-slavery, and he was one of the first to advocate a world peace organization and social security for the poor and the elderly. But his radical views on religion would destroy his success. And by the end of his life, only a handful of people attended his funeral. On January 29, 1737, Thomas Paine was born in England. His father... A corsetter? He ran courses? A corsetter had grand visions for his son, but by the age of 12, Thomas had failed out of school. The young Payne began apprenticing for his father, but again, he failed. So now, age 19, Payne went to sea. This adventure didn't last too long, and by 1768, he found himself as an excise or a tax officer in England. Thomas didn't exactly excel at the role, getting discharged or fired from his post twice in four years. But as an inkling of what was to come, he published The Case of the Officers of Excise, a book, arguing that a pay raise for the officers was, in, uh, was appropriate. In 1774, by happenstance, he met Benjamin Franklin in London, who helped him immigrate to Philadelphia. His career turned to journalism while in Philadelphia, and suddenly Thomas Paine became very important. In 1776, amen, 
he published Common Sense, a strong defense of the American independence from England. He traveled with the Continental Army and wasn't a success as a soldier, but he produced the American crisis between uh, 1776 and, 19, and 1783, which helped inspire the army. This pamphlet was so popular that as a percentage of the population, it was read by or read to more people today than watch the Super Bowl. But instead of continuing to help the revolutionary cause, he returned to Europe and pursued other self-filling adventures, including working on a smokeless candle and an iron bridge. He wrote The Rights of Man in response to criticism of the French Revolution. This work caused Paine to be labeled an outlaw in England for his anti-monarchist views. He would have been arrested, but he fled for France to join the National Convention. In 1793, he was imprisoned in France for not endorsing the execution of Louis VI. During his imprisonment, he wrote and distributed the first part of what was to become his most famous work at that time, the anti-church text called The Age of Reason. Very famous anti-God, anti-church literature. The Age of Reason. Uh, in this, he, he basically made it, those of you that are, that are familiar with, if you came to the secret meeting, you've seen the Antichrist prophet, uh, Noah, uh, Haral, uh, Yuval, whatever his name is, prophesying the fact that mankind needs to be God and that our reason, our reason and our intellect just shows that we need to be taken over by computers and there is no God because man is God. So it's not a new philosophy. Thomas Paine was one of the ones that started that philosophy, which was the more intellectual you are, the less likely you need God. And it's still perpetuated today. You send your really good, godly Christian kid to university, and they'll come out and tell you that reason is more important than God. When God created reason. His most famous work of the time, the anti-church text, The Age of Reason, he was freed in 1794, narrowly escaping execution thanks to the efforts of James Monroe, one of our founding fathers, the then U.S. minister to France. Payne remained in France until 1802, and he returned to America on an invitation from Thomas Jefferson. Payne discovered that his contributions to the American Revolution had been all but eradicated due to his faulty religious views. Derided by the public and abandoned by his friends, he died June 8, 1809, at the age of 72 in New York City, and only a handful of people came to his funeral. The pen of the American Revolution died in poverty, obscurity, and basically a hated person. It is not how well you start a thing. It's how you finish. And I hope you get this. This is something that the Lord inspires me with often. It's not how well you start. It's how well you finish. 
Due to the fact that everyone in this room is drawing breath at this moment, you're not finished. You can make a decision today to head towards finishing well. Or you can keep going. Write your book, irritate the whole world, and die in poverty and obscurity. I've seen both. I've been to the funeral that, uh, I've been to one funeral that had 14 people. And they came out of obligation. I don't know anybody that was in that room that day that actually wanted to be there and celebrate that life. And I've also done the funeral. I did the funeral for my one-time pastor, Pastor Steve Barr. And there was 3,000 people at his visitation and 1,200 people in the funeral when I preached. What's the difference? Finishing what? Finishing what? To be fair... All of us probably intend to start well. Just like I gave you the example of being married. I have yet to, to marry a couple and they both said, well, we'll see how this works. Flipping dice. Craps table. We'll see if we roll snake eyes. Or whatever you roll to crap out. Whatever. Terrible example. Nobody's ever gone into a job on their first day and say, all right, let's see how bad I can mess this up. Hey, boss, Steve. Nobody's ever walked into a dealership and bought a brand new awesome car and say, man, let's see if I can run this sucker into a tree tonight. <laughs> Nobody intends to start and fail. What happens? Failure sneaks up on you. That's how the enemy works. This is how the Marxist, leftist people who want to destroy God and destroy America have been so successful. Is because while godly people and or patriotic people can be godly or patriotic for five minutes, the Marxists will be Marxist for 50 years. And so they'll wait. They'll wait until your passion goes away. They'll wait until your patriotic moment goes away and your flag gets tattered and you finally take it down because Netflix is way more important. A comfortable life. Being busy. And the Marxists then will come in and say, you know what we'll do? We'll teach their children to be sexual deviants. We'll teach them it's the right way. We'll teach their children to hate their parents. You just go ahead and be passionate there, Mr. Patriot, with your MAGA hat. You go and get them, tiger. The enemy will wait you up. A little at a time, a little at a time. That's how ending well gets defeated. Not because anybody can't end well. Not because the God on the inside of you doesn't want you to end well. Not because God actually inspired you to start the thing and to take it and end it well. 
Look at the state of the church today in America. How many people started a church and said, man, I can't wait to start a church, fill that sucker up, and then in a pandemic, tell everybody that the church is non-essential and hope that they still give me a paycheck. You know how many preachers I've talked to who, in varying degrees of either repentance or arrogance, have justified their positions? Well, I had to shut down the church. Okay? I, I had to wear the mask. I had to take the jab. I had to... Whatever you fill in on that is going to be the reason that you're going to change your destination. What the, what the enemy does, let's say you, you leave off out of here and you want to go to Freeport. So the, the enemy's not going to just put a crossroads in front of you. Because you'll call it for what it is. No, that's a tactic of the enemy. He wants to make me go left or right. What the enemy will do is he'll put a one degree bend in your road. Slowly over the course of 14 miles. And then one day you wake up and you're in Cedarville. This doesn't look like Freeport. Yeah, no kidding. And you've been living there 22 years. Telling everybody your zip code is Freeport zip code. That's where a lot of people are. They don't want to admit that they've actually missed it. If I tell everybody I missed it, or if I tell everybody I made a mistake, what will they think? You know what they'll think? You need grace. You need mercy. You need discipleship. You need Christ. Just like the rest of us. Give me the example of the guy or the gal in Scripture that made zero mistakes. Besides Christ. If you find one, because there's a couple that you could probably debate that they didn't make any mistakes. If you find them, they're going to be very, very tiny examples of a section of their life. We're not talking their entire life, and we're not talking every moment. We're talking about what the Bible said, and it's usually over just a specific moment. Like Jonathan. Jonathan, we're only talking about a small section of his life, and he was pristine in that small section. But we don't know what he did before that, and we don't know if he even tracked true during that entire course. We just know what the Bible said. Likely, every single one of them made a mistake, failed, made a wrong turn, got on a curve when they shouldn't have got on. The ones that you and I know, the ones that you and I see heroicness in their life, heroicism, is because even though they were on a curve, they at some point recognized it with God's help. They got off the curve, went through the median, and got back on the road that they were supposed to. And if it made them have a flat tire, if it got mud in their wheel well, if it made them look stupid to the other people driving by, they didn't care because they wanted to be on the right road and finish well. And that's what God is calling all of us to. It's not about how well you start. It's about how well you finish. I don't want Kay to say one day, Steve was a great husband one day back then. I want Steve to wake up, uh, Steve. I want Kay to wake up tomorrow and say, Steve is a great husband. I want my father, when I wake up tomorrow, I want my father to say, you're doing well, son. Keep it up. 
In, in the heroes of the land, I'm greatly pleased. Hey, son, I'm pleased in you. I don't want the, God to say ten years from now, I, I was pleased how you did that thing. And there's a lot of people in Christianity that say, you know what I did that one time ten years ago? I laid hands on someone one time. I led someone to the Lord once. <laughs> not, not to get all carnal, but what have you done for me lately? Ooh, ooh yeah. That was, it was close. That was Stacy's favorite song in high school. I know, I went to high school with her. She used to sing it all the time. Acts chapter 20. She's got a music degree. She sang it better than me. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. This is Paul, the apostle who is one of the greatest examples of a hero in the Scriptures, not because he was perfect and pristine, but because he ended well. He, his life was on intimate display. You can see the details of his life and his walk with Jesus in Scriptures probably greater than any other person, which is why he's such an inspiration to us, especially in the New Covenant. This was basically towards the end of his ministry. After, after this moment, the only thing that happened to Paul was he went to Jerusalem, he got arrested, and then you guys remember the story about him taking nine months to get to Rome after being arrested where the, the ship was shipwrecked and then they ended up on the island and he had the snake bite him, snake venom, snake, snake venom, bite him, and then he cast it into the fire, and then he went to Rome and uh, preached the gospel, lived basically two, they think, maybe three years in house arrest, wrote four of the greatest books of the Bible, and likely was martyred to death. So for the most part, this is about the end of his ministry. In verse 22 it says, And now behold, this is Paul speaking, And now behold, look, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Pause. Most people get distracted or sidelined on the course of their destiny because they got to know all the answers. They gotta run it through their intellect. This, and I hope you get this. When we walk by faith, specifically walking by faith is, is you are seeing something on the inside that you're not seeing. Seeing with your eyes is not faith. Seeing with your heart is faith. This, this is how healing works. You have to see it on the inside. You have to see Jesus taking on his back by those stripes your sickness, your disease. It was yours. It wasn't his. He didn't die for his cancer, his heart disease. He didn't have it. It was yours. And with every whip 
I've had people actually do this when they've come for healing. I said, I want you to see the Lord getting beat in that place. My ears are ringing. I want you to see that cat of nine tails coming down from that abusive person, oppressor, tyrant. I want you to see that cat of nine tails come down and one of those tails slap Jesus across the ear and blow out his eardrum. Blood running down his ear. His ear ringing until he dies. That stripe was for you. You, I have this gallbladder problem. I want you to see that cat of nine tails that was literally built. Go study a cat of nine tails. It was built to do the greatest amount of damage with each stripe. And a lot of people say that he took 39 stripes. No, he took 39 stripes from a regular whip from the Jews. Then he got beat by the Romans with the cat of nine tails. It was two beatings. The cat of nine tails was specific, nine tails, and they would have pieces of bone or glass or rock in each of those tails. Bone, uh, well, just do, I'll do rock and uh, glass. Rock to bruise by his bruises, and the glass to cut. So bruising and cutting at the same time to create the maximum amount of blood and pain. I have a problem with my gallbladder or spleen. Well, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. That cat of nine tails, you can see that lash that cut him open and exposed his spleen, and then the other tail coming behind it with that stone and hitting that spleen and maybe exploding it. That was for you. That stripe was your stripe. Every sickness, every disease was healed by his stripes. It's for you. Being able to see it Seeing it with the eyes of your heart is even better than seeing it with your eyes. When I watched The Passion of the Christ, I was actually disappointed. The reason I was disappointed is because the thousands, literally the thousands of times I've gone to Calvary. And I say that and people think that I'm talking in ethereal terms. I'm not. I'm telling you, I go to Calvary. I close my eyes. Steve Castle goes back 2,000 years. Steve Castle puts on a Jewish robe, and Steve Castle goes up to the foot of the cross as an incognito Jew. And that blood drips on my face, on my hands. I can see the blood drops on my hands. I can see his body thrashed, looking like a piece of hamburger, literally. He was unrecognizable as a human because he was beat so bad. And that was for me. That was for me. His atonement was for me. This is why when I preach on the finished work of the cross, I take a ton. You, you guys don't know because you love me. 
But I take a ton of persecution over the finished work of the cross. People are just like, hey, I mean, we still have to go through all this stuff and persecution and suffering. And it, you know, it's not like he did it all for us. If he didn't do it all, you're jacked. You ain't going to do it. If there's some part of your salvation that you got to do, oh, you're done. You are done. Just call it. But if he did it all, if he, if when he said it is finished, it was finished and the Father was pleased with what was finished. If it was finished, then it's finished for me. So anything I got, oppression, depression, that terrible thing that person did to me, that unforgiveness, that vengeful attitude, that anger at that person, self-justifiable, that self-centeredness, because I'm just human. It was all there. When I go to Calvary and I see what was done for me, to be able to walk away from that moment and still retain my garbage is almost supernatural. I encourage you all, go there. I'm telling you, I've gone there thousands of times. Yeah, I know, you're probably thinking, man, you're terrible. Yeah, I'm terrible. i got to go there a lot. But what I see, everything I do and everything I see is by faith. I didn't leave my office. The flesh, the body of Steve Castle is still sitting in my office staring out a window. I went there in my real person and went to that cross by faith. I walked there by faith. The just shall live by faith. Seeing with the eyes of your heart actually can be more impactful to you than seeing with the eyes of your head. And when you see it, then you can follow it. And the Lord gives you destiny in faith. Paul says, I don't know what was going to befall me. He didn't know in the natural. He didn't know in the intellect what was going to happen to him when he got to Jerusalem. But he knew that he knew that he knew that something right here was making him go there. And everyone in this room has the exact same thing happening. The Spirit of God right now is prodding your heart. Pushing you. Towards somewhere that maybe you don't even want to go. He didn't want to go to Jerusalem. He said later on, uh, and if you go to uh, chapter 21, he says, All I know is that persecutions and, are, and chains befall me. So he knew it wasn't going to be rainbows, butterflies, and Jesus. And most of us will make decisions on that. You have, you have two choices in front of you. Which one's the comfortable one? Which one is the, which one is the least expensive one? Which one makes me feel better? Maybe it's the right one. Maybe it's satanic. Whatever, whenever you're, you're given a decision, please don't do that. Please don't use your eyes to determine this. Because if you do, the best you'll ever have in your life is what your eyes can give you. And just so you know, that's how people get into terrible sins. That's where the sin of pornography comes in. They just want it with their eyes. 
Uh, and before all the gals think about the guys, it's uh, found out it's, gals have it too. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit under Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save, except, uh, in the King James, except that the Holy, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, witnesses, that word witness is martyrio, which means testifies, in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Verse 24, this verse is on my wall in my office. But none of these things move me. <laughs> but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course. Finish my course. My course. He had a course. So do you. You have a course. It's not my course. I can't finish it. Your spouse can't finish it for you. Your parents can't finish it for you. The government can't give you enough money to finish it. It's yours and yours alone. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. Oh my Lord. And the reason this has impacted me so much, this is, this is my life. I'm in my destiny. I'm doing what I was created to do. And it's so filled with joy and, and, and peace. And man, I wouldn't trade anybody's life for mine. But it's mine. You can have this. And you're, it's not, God didn't give me the special preacher blessing. Everyone in this room, it's the same grace. And have I accomplished what I'm called to accomplish? God, no. Am I on the path? Yep. Will I need to have a course correction? Probably before the end of this message. I'm okay with that. I want to hit it. I want to hit it perfectly. That I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry. The, the word ministry means service. Service. The service which I have received of the Lord. You can't give what you haven't been given. You can't give away what you don't have. And until the Lord has ministered this to you, you can't give it away. The Lord makes me a good husband. The Lord makes me a good father. The Lord makes me a good pastor. He gives it to me first. He pastors me. I pastor you. Some of the reasons that other churches are failing and other ministers are failing is because they're not being pastored. So they haven't got anything to give away. I need a shepherd. He's got a special staff with my name on it. which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. The good news, gospel, good news of the grace of God. You know, Paul said that the gospel is grace. And we've turned the gospel into condemnation. 
Repent or else, turn or burn, you sinner. That's not good news. It may be true. (laughs) You need to repent and you need to turn or you'll burn. And you might be a sinner. But it doesn't have to stay that way. That's the good news. The good news is you can turn all that off. Let the devil have what he wanted you to have. And you can be born again and have his life. That's the good news. The grace of God is the good news. Not the curse of Satan. Don't miss this. Let me give you this verse and a couple other versions. However, in the NIV, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And, in the New Living Translation, NLT, it says, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. By who? By your boss, by your spouse, by your parents, by the government, by your checkbook. (laughs) Assign me by the Lord. And and I'm really tenuous with this, honestly. But there's so many times I'd like to ask people, like, did the Lord tell you to do that? You guys have heard me say this about the church. Did the Lord tell you to come here? Don't answer, please. Because no matter which way you answer this, it's going to put you in a hard way in the future. If the Lord doesn't tell you to come here, leave. I'm okay with that. I didn't used to not be okay with that. I'd just say, well, just hang out. (laughs) Please, maybe he'll speak to you. But now I'm okay with it because I want you where God wants you. And if it's not here, I'm okay with that. I'm secure with that. But if this is where God tells you to be, why are you not all in? I mean all in. If God told you, maybe, maybe you're better than me. Let, me. let me say it this way. Maybe you're way better than me. Maybe you're worth a ton more than me. Maybe you're a thousand times more valuable than me. But God doesn't give me tons of stuff to do. I get, if He gives me one thing, I mean, that's a good month. And so if He gives me something that I know is something that He wants me to do, I'm doing it. Because I don't get like 50 things a day. Maybe you do. Maybe you and Jesus just sit around all day long chatting and He gives you a checklist like daily. I don't get that. I just get little things here and there. Fight the governor. Are you sure? Just double checking. (laughs) I don't get a lot. And so the things that I get from Him, I'm going to do with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength because I love Him. And I appreciate the fact that he gave me something to do. And, it, 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 and I'm not just saying this to you guys. When, Kay, when we knew that we were supposed to be in a church, Kay and I, we served with all, we did all the stuff. And I'm not, I don't want you to serve because if you come up to anybody after this message and you ask them to serve, you're, the answer is no. Or, I don't speak for everybody. You know what I'm saying. Don't do it. <laughs> and say, if, if you're not here because God, told you to be here, then either A, be where you where God tells you to be, or B, find out where God wants you. 
If he told you to go be somewhere else and we're closer, dear Lord, that is a terrible reason to pick a church. Based upon mileage? Do what the Lord tells you to do. It's his, he's Lord. That's what Lord means. Lord means Lord. Not uh, the great opinionator. Well, this is my opinion, you know, as God. You know, you don't have to, but if you want to do this, this would be awesome. That, that is not who God is. God is the Lord. He knows if you do this, He knows what the outcome is if you do it, and you do it with the right heart. Victories and battles and small successes in life have as much opportunity to cripple a person called the heroism as the largest foe. You might have missed that. Let me say it simpler. Comfort kills heroes. No hero has ever gone after comfort. Nearly every American goes after comfort, which is why we don't have any heroes. Heroes aren't looking for comfort. They're not looking for the comfortable choice. They're not looking for the easy road. They're not looking for the path with the least amount of resistance. They're looking for the narrow road with the few that are on it. Some people, because they are in comfortable places, they've had successes. Well, my marriage is fine. Finances are fine. I'm not dying. I don't have like a body part falling off. So, I mean, kind of just stay the course. It's not as bad as so-and-so's life. If it isn't challenging you, if you don't need God to show up, it's not faith. And I don't know what the application is to you. The applications are as numerous as the people listening to my voice. Because what it means to me is not what it means to the kid. What the Holy Spirit has for him to do by faith is not what he has for me to do by faith. What he's inspiring me to do and accomplish tomorrow is not his. But it's both the same things. I'm going to have to fight against the comfort. I'm going to have to go uphill, against the grain, upstream, on the narrow road. Because those are the roads that the heroes are on. The pursuit of comfort makes weak men. You want to get weak? Have no resistance. You guys know I work out. What is working out? Working out is on purpose creating resistance that forces your muscles to actually tear a little bit. And then in the repair of the tear, you you gain strength and ability. Lack of resistance will make your muscles grow weak and eventually entropy. And some folks in this room, some folks out there on YouTube, your faith muscles have entrophied to the point to where you need everybody to do everything for you spiritually. 
And if you don't know who I'm talking about, if you've called for the prayer chain to answer your problem twice this week, I'm going to end with this, these verses. 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to be the one that makes the prize. Why would you get in a race and not want to win it? This isn't like high school track where they put Steve Castle on the cross-country team because they need a number. Because <laughs> I wouldn't win in a race. They had me do a sprint one time. They literally laughed. Literally. They laughed at me. Bunch of jerks. I showed them, started church. <laughs> Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to take the prize. Everyone who competes in the games trains with strict discipline. Discipleship. They do it for a crown that is perishable. But we do it for a crown that is imperishable. Amen. Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. Oh boy, I could preach there for a while. You guys need to be thankful for that clock. Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like I'm beating the air. I'm really busy right now, preacher. i got to do stuff. Really? You're going to beat that air to death, ain't you? No, verse 27, I discipline my body. Everybody loves that. (laughs) If you say amen, everybody will know you're working on it. Amen. (laughs) Look at all the hypocrites I just fixed. No, I discipline my body. I make it my slave. So that after I have preached, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You, you have the ability to do this. Discipline is a choice. And it's not just in your body. If, you're, if your body needs discipline, then discipline it. Diet, exercise, fast, whatever you got. I'll help you. I'll personal train you, maybe. I'm busy. But you can do it. You can do it. If it's a spiritual discipline, you can do it. You can read the Bible. You can hear the voice of your shepherd. You can make the decision to end well. Because that's why the Lord had you start. So if this is you, if you're, if you're willing to make this correction in your life, if you feel like you're on a curve, or if you hit a T, and you went left or right, and you know that you know that you're not on that road, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray specifically for you. If you're on that road, if you know that you are where the Lord wants you to be, I'm, I mean this, listen to me. I'm not, nobody's going to raise their hands out of guilt or shame or condemnation in this church. If you're where you need to be, leave your hand down. If you don't care, leave your hand down. The Lord knows. But if you actually know that you are probably on a curve, or if you took a left or a right turn somewhere then I want you to raise your hand, and I'm going to pray just for those folks. You're not going to be able to bootleg this prayer. It's going to be specific, and you're going to be public about it to the Lord, because He's going to answer you in your humility. 
So if that's you, raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Father, you see these hands. You see these folks desire to be perfectly on that path. What an awesome, godly, and divine desire. Father, I know that you see their hearts and that you are weighing this in the balance, this decision right here. And Father, I thank you that through your grace, through the good news of your grace, that you are right now picking this person up and you are supernaturally putting them back in the road that you've ordained for them to be and that you are even redeeming the time that was lost while they were on the wrong path. Father, I thank you that from this point out, your spirit is going to speak to them directions that your word is going to be a light unto their, their feet and a lamp unto their path. I declare that over these humble, submitted, and authentic hearts in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.